Happy Friday, and welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Because it's Friday, we're joined by my colleague, Tim Miller, who is up at the crack of freaking dawn out there on the West Coast. So, Tim, uh, good to have you back again. Hey, Charlie. Love being here. Just chugging some coffee. So I'll be, I'll be firing all cylinders by 11-minute mark of this podcast. Okay. Well, there's a lot of grim stuff that we have to talk about. And I, and I want to talk about Mitch McConnell. And that amazing yep. interview where we saw the what I described as the banality of amorality in my newsletter this morning, and obviously things that are going on in in Ukraine. I also want to talk about uh, some remarkable things that happened on the Senate floor over the last couple of days. But can we do this as a as a palate cleanser? I haven't done a palate cleanser in a while. I, I, I need this, I need a palate cleanser. I have to, I have this, to be this is this is a palate cleanser. Um, we used to do this on a regular basis all the time, and I I don't know like maybe you know, war and reality has intervened and pushed it aside. But this is, uh, for lack of a better description, um, a viral video that this individual, um, and it's not important to know his name because he's just a guy, um, a viral video that he posted on social media explaining how brilliant he was. Um, And it's just one of those moments where it just raises all kinds of questions. So the guy's sitting in his car. He's this, in case people haven't seen, he's the, he's, he's the guy with the mustache. And apparently he's one of the smartest human beings in America. So let's just mm-hmm. play this. You know, a lot of people like to say I'm stupid and uneducated. <laughs> Why? Actually, I'm among the smartest. I'm one of the smartest people in the world. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because I founded the Anti-Maskers Club. Oh. I never wore a mask, never got the vaccine. Brilliant. That automatically makes me t- uh, top 10% highest IQs in the world. Maybe even I might be in the top 1% of me. the smartest people in the world. So, mm. yeah. Smarter than all these college kids that wear masks, got getting vac- vaccinated. Smarter than all these kids in colleges. Impressive. Smarter than all these professors. Smarter than all these doctors. Smarter than Dr. I'm smarter than Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. Smarter than Trump. Because Trump promoted the vaccine, smarter than Trump. Something called street smart and something called book smart. You know, I live in reality. I'm street smart. Which 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 street? So I I posted that and I said this is the the Dunning Kruger Uh. effect come to uh, you know come to life. You you, you know this is for people who aren't familiar. Dunning Kruger is in psychology um, the cognitive bias whereby people with limited knowledge. Uh, in a given intellectual or social domain, greatly overestimate their own knowledge or competence in that domain. In other words, they, you know, it's people who are too stupid to know that they're stupid. But there's a lot of that. It's a it's a it's a useful thing. It's a useful, I think, concept to keep in mind as you listen to people going. You just have no idea how you sound, do you? I just. But that was pretty. <laughs> it is pretty interesting, and it's it's you know one of those things I. People think you know, I'm more stupid. than anybody have been um, pleased about the fact that, like, I, I think that folks came around to the fact that, you know, for the vaccinated, rules and, and regulations should have been should have been um, you know, drawn down uh, over the past few months. Uh, but it is pretty kind of alarming when you stand back and think about it that, like, we, there still are you know, several hundred people a day, almost all unvaccinated, dying from this from the coronavirus like there's a magic drug um out there that you can just get a shot and be almost assured that you're not going to die and yet hundreds of people are dying anyway and and not only are they dying they're going on to tiktok to tell us how smart they are for not for not taking this magic drug that the really brilliant scientists came up with in kind of a, a world historic invention in short time you know i mean it is kind of funny well, I, 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 I choose to find it funny and not dwell on the fact that uh, geniuses <laughs> like this guy are probably going to bring back polio and a variety of yeah. other things um, in in the future. All right. So let's, uh, uh, let's just, uh, just one yes, other thing sure. I've been watching just kind of because, you know, I'm a man of the people, mm-hmm. Charlie. And so I've been I've been getting stuck into TikTok. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. one of the one percent smartest mm-hmm. people in America. Um, uh, but, you know, I like to kind of see what's out there, what the kids are seeing, what everybody's seeing, you know, keeps me relevant for the Snapchat show. So I've I've been caught into this one. He's kind of like a surfer bro. I think he lives in San Diego, and he just goes up to people on the beach and asks them if they prefer Trump or Biden. Uh, these TikToks, and and it is alarming. <laughs> I just want to, I just oh, want he's to let funny. You know. I I I, I, I think I've seen guy? that. Yeah, he is funny. Yeah. He's great. He's smart. Unlike the 
uh, Dunning Kruger fella. Uh, but when you listen to the responses, I mean, it's just all vibes, man. It's just all like this guy. You know, it's it's either people are either I just don't like the smarty elites, and so I got to be with Trump. He's not part of the club, you know, or it's Trump is club. mean, um, you know, so I got to be for Biden. Well, valid reason, the latter on the latter, valid reason to be for Biden. But, um, you know, it, it, it is it takes you to a separate place from as bad as the Twitter discourse is. Um, at least many of the people on the Twitter discourse have like policy priors that they're trying to achieve. When you look at the uh, boardwalk uh, interviews in San Diego. That's mm. a little, little concerned. I guess. I guess what mm. I'm saying is the fellow in the car, the Dunning Kruger guy, is a little yeah. closer to the mean than maybe we might. Want, okay, we might want to acknowledge. So, so here's 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 my pro tip for uh, the weekend: that if you want to retain your faith in democracy and your fellow man, uh, do not watch these TikTok videos. Uh, <laughs> if you want to believe in democracy, uh, don't attend a homeowners media association or something <laughs> like that. There's, you know, it's just like. Just step back and read a book or something um, just to, you know, keep your keep yourself a little bit optimistic. OK, so speaking of optimistic, this was really one of the highlights I thought of yesterday. And of course, everybody is talking about it. But Jonathan Swan from Axios sits down with with Mitch McConnell and um, they, they talk about a variety of things. But what, what really struck me was the the discussion about the moral red line. And I just I want to play it. It runs about two minutes. But. Uh, and Jonathan Swan does like unlike a lot of American interviewers, and you and I were talking about this before the the, the the show. You know, British and Australian interviewers are really aggressive. I mean, they don't let you off the hook. They keep coming back and asking the question. Um, um, American interviewers do that rarely, which makes I, I think helps Jonathan Swan stand out because he is so good at this. And Mitch McConnell, um, well, we'll get to your take on this because in my newsletter, I actually gave you the final word on on what we we saw here. Uh, the, uh, Jonathan Swan pressing uh, Mitch McConnell on whether he has any moral red lines in his politics. Let's play it. So moral, moral red lines, where do you draw them? Um, I'm perfectly comfortable with the way I have conducted my political career and... Uh, <laughs> I'd be happy to respond to any specificity you want to apply to the term. What was it? Moral red lines. Moral red line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me give you I'm very comfortable no. with my moral red line. Let me give you one specific. Ooh. Help me understand this. Please. I watched your speech last year in February on the Senate floor after the second impeachment vote on Donald Trump, and it was an extraordinary speech. You spoke very powerfully against the most powerful figure in your party, the the president. Um, And you said Donald Trump's actions preceding the January 6th insurrection were a, quote, disgraceful dereliction of duty and that he was practically and morally responsible, morally responsible, your words, for provoking the events of that day. How do you go from saying that to two weeks later saying you'd absolutely support Donald Trump if he's the Republican nominee in 2024? Well, as a Republican mm-hmm. leader of the Senate, it should not be a front-page headline that I will re- <laughs> support the Republican nominee for president. After you've said that about him, I think it's astonishing. I, I think I have an obligation to support the, the nominee of my of my party. Partisan hack. And, uh, even is there anything I, they could do? I will. That will mean that whoever the nominee is has gone out and earned the nomination. Okay, but Donald Trump earned it last time, and I'm just trying to understand, you know, what you say matters. You're, you're a very important voice in this country. You're the leader of your party, and you seem to hold two concurrent, conflicted no, positions. Which is not at all inconsistent. If I just I, not at all inconsistent. I stand by everything I said. I, on I understand. But January sixth and everything I said on February the thirteenth. I understand that. But but what I want to understand, oh. which I haven't heard you address, is because I don't get to pick the Republican nominee for president. They're elected by the Republican voters. I've, all over the country. I fully understand that, but take Liz Cheney, for example. You she, want to spend some more time on this as well? I, I actually do, because I, I, I actually... No, no, I genuinely want to understand this. I really want to understand how you think about yeah. this, because Liz so Cheney, hilarious. who has the same view of you as of January 6th, she said she doesn't want Donald Trump anywhere near the White House, and she's going to work to not make that happen, because she thinks that there are some things more important than party loyalty. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you, maybe you ought to be talking to Liz Cheney. Maybe, maybe you should... That was just fucking. That was fucking great. That really was. So, uh, Tim Miller, 
Here's, I'm glad you can enjoy. It's depressing. Before I get, because I, I have, a, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get riled up on Mitch. So before I get to mm-hmm. Mitch on on Swan, it is refreshing, man. You know, and you would feel like we have this whole proliferation of media here, and there's so many outlets on the hill, and, and to to just be able to singularly separate yourself from the other, not just interviewers, not yeah, just interviewers, but like yeah. folks that are like trolling the halls of Capitol Hill, right? Uh, you know, and this is, in some ways, the Swan thing is a parallel to Chain Liz because it's like the reason why he gets so much praise is because we're all just wandering through the desert, just like dying for somebody to, to just like, be honest with these people, right? To, to like make them yeah. have to live up to the bullshit um, yeah. that, they, that they have been spreading so anyway kudos to john and um on, Agree, on, on, yeah on mitch i, I mean look, as i said <laughs> which uh what you said in the newsletter i mean his response is hilarious I, uh kind of and it's but revealing and hilarious at the same time and revealing right it's like he didn't he's completely befuddled <laughs> it's like a moral red line i like i don't i don't even know where to start I, he goes into two jokes uh mitch is not a good comedian but he attempts two jokes i there was a, a, a separate point from this this because this goes on he talks about how his kids like him um and his wife likes him it's like and swan's like well there's four um but uh you know mitch mitch it just doesn't occur to him that, that to have an answer prepared for this right because like the answer is something you don't want to say which is that he has no moral red lines obviously obviously well, then, he has no moral and this is the central element of mitch mcconnell he is in service to power to power for his party and to power for himself Above all, and there's there's not anything anybody could do, and 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 it's the theme of the whole interview. They go on to talk about Eric Greitens and Herschel Walker, and all the people running for Senate. Uh, and they go on to talk about something I wrote about this week, which is how the the Senate and campaign committee is still relentlessly promoting not just Donald Trump himself, but his private businesses, and 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 Mitch is just unbowed by any of those things. He's made uncomfortable by the fact that Jonathan's pressing him on it, but but he has no, he doesn't feel as if he. Needs to try to come up with a, a justification because he doesn't need one. If to him the justification is just power for power's sake, well, and and that's that's the amorality of it. As you pointed yeah. out, he's completely befuddled by it. Like, what what is the phrase? Moral red line? I just you can tell he kind of thinks of it as a gotcha question. So it's not that that he doesn't have a moral red line. He really doesn't even understand the concept of why he should have one. So. On my newsletter, I actually was thinking about what Hannah Arendt wrote. You know, she said, the sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never make up their minds to be good or evil. And she wrote about the banality of evil when she wrote about, you know, the the Eichmann trial and everything. I'm not trying to compare him to Eichmann, but, you know, the banality of evil that that people kind of just drift into it. They don't recognize the moral lines. They don't even understand why they have to have it. And so that's listening to the befuddlement. And I think that was the right word that you used him of Mitch McConnell on this question is the banality of the amorality. And he is just thoroughly amoral to the point where he just kind of can't even understand why he's being asked, why even asking me these things? Why would he even be newsworthy that a man that I think is an absolute disgrace for the country ought to be president? I mean, really, is that, you know, Jonathan, you really want to spend more time on all this? Yeah, yes, we do. Because, yeah. you know, but it is just it, to it this point, a very though, revealing moment. Yeah, extremely revealing because it also reveals that I, to, to your point about the banality of it all, I, I don't know that Mitch McConnell even like ever thinks about it in, the, in right. these terms and like exactly. might not even think about himself as being immoral. I, uh, he, right. he doesn't that's even, that's right, yeah. amoral, not immorality. Immoral. It, it doesn't even factor in. Now, I know right. people will say, no, 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 he is evil. No, well, okay. But I think that you, if you want to understand what's happening to our culture and to our politics, the Mitch McConnells who are like, what are you even talking about? It's like you're asking him a question. I don't know I, what, what, what analogy why I want to use, you know, something, you know, a completely irrelevant. Like, tell us your thoughts on platypus reproduction. Like, <laughs> what? It's just like, I'm, I'm the senator. You really want to spend more time on platypus reproduction? With that, that's right. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Herschel Walker, fine, beats his wife. That's, you know, Eric Wrighton, you know, ties up a woman, you know, and, you know, and photographs her and everything. But, you know, really, you think that I... You really care that you know why I would justify supporting him for the United States Senate? Uh, so, just one it, more it, on the McConnell yeah. mindset for like your for the listeners who yeah. aren't steeped in this and don't know these assholes. Um, this this culture of you know kind of politics as a game, 
right? Like yeah, people right. in politics call call it like, "Hey, I'm in the game." Like if you're if you're a campaigner, in the same way that like people in, in drug dealing movies call it the game. Uh, the game. You know, people who are in the politics of politics really do. It is a game. Like it, it's it's a competition. Um, you know, there's some underlying principles. I, you know, I, I, I do think that, that Mitch, like whatever, generally thinks the government should be smaller rather than bigger or whatever. But he sees himself as a tactician, as a player inside this game where the ultimate goal is to win. And so in that context of this as just this big imaginary game of risk or whatever, it's big imaginary multiplayer live action role play. You know, he doesn't see a contradiction in saying that Donald Trump and in, in giving his speech on February 13th and then and then saying he would support Donald Trump on February 27th because his speech on February 13th was to try to help save the brand of his team. Right. Like his speech on February 13th was to try to help, uh, you know, stop the bleeding from what was happening with the Republican Party. His actions on February 27th saying he'd support Donald Trump, his actions uh, letting his campaign committee send out a million emails about Donald Trump are, are, are about the next game or about winning the next election. And you need to raise money to do that. So for him, it's like, yeah, uh, I, I told what I thought was the truth on February 13th, which was that he that he acted immorally. And then I did what. I thought was needed on February 27th, which is we need this immoral man on our side if we're going to win elections. And I don't see any conflict in that because that is in service to winning this big game. No, and I that is Mitch right. McConnell's yeah mindset. I know you know, but I, I think that no. for some people, it's they try to understand like, that. Think yeah. about all these rationalizations. It could be for the money. It could be for all these other reasons. Like no, like like his brain has is completely warped. And so then when Swan comes in and tries to unwarp it and say, okay, well let's. Let's like step back for a second and say, is there anything? Is there any moral red line that would break this way that you think about the game? And and for Mitch, it's like does not compute. Right, right. It it's not like no. It's like what what are you even talking about? Right. Okay, so there's a lot of other things in this interview, including discussion of the Supreme Court, where I I, I think that anyone who has followed Mitch McConnell for any amount of time understands that he was essentially signaling that if Republicans take control of the Senate, that even in 2023, um, there's no chance that they will even take up a Biden nominee to the Supreme Court. So once again, the, the bar has been moved. The goalposts have been moved. They will just sit on the nominees. Would yeah, that be your this, take on that? This is massive yeah. news, massive yeah. news. And Mitch, you know, again, it goes to, you know, the crowd that's like, well, Biden was going to expand the Supreme Court or whatever. And they looked into a committee. Yeah. I, like the, the, yeah. this the happen, imbalance, right? It, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, the same people, then, you know, it'll be, you know, the baseball guy at, Dave, at National Review or whatever. The same people like come up with some convoluted way where it's like, well, uh, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell doesn't have to take up hearings on this because in 1832, you know, like the, uh, the, they'll come yeah. up with some just rationalization and justification for this. Mitch McConnell sees blocking Merrick Garland as the most significant thing that he did. He suffered no political penalty for it. Obviously, Donald Trump went on to win the election. He maintained his role as Senate Majority Leader. The the Supreme Court seat went from being Garland to uh, to Gorsuch, and uh, you know, and then the Amy Coney Barrett in the in in a much closer to the election instance uh, four years later. Um, they jammed it through, and I don't think that they feel like they paid any political penalty for that. It's not as if Amy Coney Barrett was the reason that 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 um, Trump lost uh, the election or that the Georgia Senate seats went down. Um, that wasn't even really an issue in the election. And so if you look at that fact pattern, if you're Mitch McConnell and, and you say, and let's say Clarence Thomas you know, has a heart attack or whatever um, next year and you're the Senate majority leader, why would you? Why no, would I, you commit I, to it, right? I, for Mitch, again, in this context of the game, why would you? So this is Jonathan once again, I, I think, exposing that. And and now I, I think it's incumbent upon Democrats and any remaining Republicans of good conscience to try to 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 say we this is this all has gone too far. So we had to acknowledge what happened yesterday as well. Speaking of the way the United States Senate has changed, uh, Katanji yeah. Brown Jackson uh, confirmed the first African American woman to the court. The vote was fifty-three to forty-seven. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of commentary about uh, this sort of you know performative assholery of people like uh, Ted Cruz yeah. and, and uh, you know Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley. Tom and all Cotton, of those guys. Yeah, like Tom really Cotton. managed. It's always I like know. you just want to shout out somebody when they're like in in a room full of assholes. At, you know, you just stand on top of everybody's shoulders. And I'm like, I'm the biggest asshole. Well, so kudos I, I, to Tom I, Cotton for that. So, 
Mitch McConnell, you know, is completely amoral. Guys like uh, Cruz and Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley have decided they want to weaponize their assholery. And and, yeah. the, and they know that the, the bigger asshole they are, the more attention they get, the more they distinguish themselves. And they also know that right now they're not paying a political price for it. So for them, this performative uh, assholery is, is is a rational choice. But I, I want to talk about what happened right after the vote. So the, the, the yeah. vote, which everybody knew was going to happen, 5347, um, whether you like her jurisprudence or not, I think she, you know, she's an admirable person. It, it's a significant moment. I mean, there's, th this feels like now that I'm, I'm really like the olds from a different century. There's a moment of graciousness and defeat where you go, okay, so yes. I opposed you because I do not agree with your positions, but I'm able to acknowledge the moment. So there was all of this applause and there was cheering. And then the Republicans, led by Mitch McConnell, turned on their heels and they walked out. They all walked out. So you see the video. And about the only Republican who was left there is Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney stays and he's standing and he's applauding because he's a classy guy. And, you know, just leaving aside all the politics uh, of it, you know, would it have been that hard for Mitch McConnell and the Republicans to have just a moment of grace? of a little bit of class, or is that just completely now obsolete in American politics and, and including the floor of the Senate, which used to be a place, you know, where people behaved reasonably well. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I think that at least in the short term, it's obsolete in the GOP. Uh, look, I think back to 08, um, you know, with McCain, uh, in his, uh, concession speech, I didn't know you were going here, so I don't have the yeah, exact yeah. quote in front of me, but, but, I, but I remember McCain, you know, congratulates Obama in a pretty standard manner. I wasn't, you know, anything overly effusive, that, that, and that and the happen. crowd starts booing. Right? Yeah, like the, like there, there's this like kind of overwhelming booing at it at, at his um what was you know ostensibly I guess a victory party his his election night party in uh, in Arizona. So this is I guess people that came to John McCain's election night party, right? So it wasn't exact. It wasn't even you know it wasn't the deplorables. I mean maybe there are a handful of deplorables, right? But I, I you know just think about the kind of crowd that would show up at John McCain's election night party in Arizona. I, you know you would think kind of a mainstream activist Republican crowd booing his gentlemanly acknowledgement of Obama. And then he kind of riffs after that and says no. And he chastises the crowd basically and yeah. says, no, 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 you know, you know, we need to, you know, he's the president for all the country, uh, et cetera, uh, kind of acknowledges the moment, first black president, uh, how amazing this is. And this is an analogous situation, right? It's the first black woman on the Supreme Court and to have Mitt Romney be in the John McCain role, right? It's like, here's yeah. the one person, right? It's the one person who's like, can we just be decent for a minute and acknowledge for the young black girls out there in particular, but for the whole country, like this moment of, you know, the, the country has been, you know, it's been hundreds of years, you know, we've had hundreds of years of Supreme Court nominees. And now we finally, for the first time, have one black woman uh, to, to, to just acknowledge that, even if we're going to disagree with some of our rulings. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do think that the uh, the party's beyond that because it's a bottom up thing, right? Like yeah, this is that so you go back this to that 08 crowd. Yeah, the 08 crowd, the crowd didn't want that. They didn't want it then, and McCain was going in contrast to what his own voters wanted. And eventually, there was obviously going to be an end date to how long that could last. So this is an interesting point because John McCain clearly was was willing to push back against the booing uh, from his own supporters, but the the modern generation, uh, the, the the Cruises, the Cottons, etc., um, they can't. They are afraid of being booed by their base on Twitter and social media, and they they're not willing to to push back. And maybe it's a generational thing. Okay, so Tim Miller, yeah, uh, I, I want to talk about um, your piece about uh, social media, the incredible um, face plant of the. Um, what is it? Truth Social. Truth Social, uh, yeah. Trump's latest iteration of his failed businesses and the way the Republican establishment went all in and promoting it and the thing is a complete disaster. I also want to talk about how the culture war is coming for um, gays and lesbians. Um, I have to admit that I did not have that on my particular dance card. Maybe you think I am naive. Um, and the one speech on the floor of the United States Senate that um, that I wanted to share with the uh, with with the audience, where you had a senator who just dismantles Josh Hawley. <laughs> if you have not heard it, stick around. We're going to do it right after. That's this. a tease. People say that puffiness and bags under the eyes are the hardest things to get rid of. Until now, 
Introducing GenuCell Plant Stem Cell Therapies. Some studies show that plant stem cell therapy can help target eye puffiness and bags. Due to this new technology, GenuCell is an incredibly powerful natural serum. And with its instant effects, it's guaranteed to show results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. That's right. Some users saw results in only 12 hours with dramatic improvement in two weeks. I have some friends who just rave about this. GenuCell contains eight extra ingredients and uses plant stem cell technology to help get longer lasting and brilliant results. So go to GenuCell.com slash Bulwark right now to try risk-free. Say goodbye to puffiness and bags today. Order right now with our special code Bulwark to get an instant 10% off your order. Genucel promises the best skincare, best results, or your money back. Go to genucel.com slash Bulwark. That's genucel.com slash Bulwark. Okay, we are back. Tim Miller. I, I suppose this is slightly inconsistent having talked about uh, the death of civility. I was amazed by this speech on the floor of the Senate, I think it was yesterday, by Hawaii Democratic Senator Brian Schatz, who I don't know really much about. I'm guessing that he and I probably wouldn't have, you know, a beer together or anything. But he just takes apart Josh Hawley. Also an indication, I, I think, of, of, our, of our politics, because I don't think there's any secret here that Brian Schatz despises Josh Hawley. These guys are definitely not going out for coffee after all of this. But this is definitely worth your time. He is blocking the staffing of the senior leadership at the Department of Defense. And this comes from a guy who raised his fist in solidarity with the insurrectionists. And this comes from a guy who, before the Russian invasion, suggested that maybe it would be wise for Zelensky to make a few concessions about Ukraine and their willingness to join NATO. This comes from a guy who just about a month ago voted against Ukraine aid. He's saying it's going too slow. He voted no. (laughs) He voted no on Ukraine aid. And now he has the gall to say it's going too slow. And this final insult is that until, what, Secretary Austin resigns? That's not a serious request. People used to come to me during the Trump administration all the time. Do you think Trump should resign? Do you think Tillerson should resign? That's a stupid, of course, I think all the people I disagree with should quit their jobs and be replaced with people I love. Of course, I think they should all resign. That's not how this world works. That is not a reasonable request from a United States senator that until the Secretary of Defense quits his job, I'm going to block all of his nominees. That's preposterous. And coming from a person who exonerated Donald Trump for extorting Zelensky for withholding lethal aid. Okay, so, but the only thing missing there is shot saying, so fuck you, Josh Hawley. <laughs> Re- really? Uh, oh, okay. So, and, I'll and, add that and, to the end. So fuck yeah, you, yeah, Josh yeah. Hawley. And, and, and this is how it ends. And so spare me the new solidarity with the Ukrainians <laughs> and with the free world because this man's record is exactly the opposite. This man. This man, this guy, this man. In other words, my friend, fuck, fuck, yeah, my, fuck my you, friend, just, and yeah, <laughs> John yeah, yeah, terms. This the the gentleman from Missouri, my <laughs> my good friend. Boy, that's that's a long time ago. But you know, I mean, this was one where you go, you know, finally, yes, you know, go back at these guys, call them out on this. And I guess this is why you know Brian Schatz's speech is getting so much attention because you know. In, in, instead of the usual mumble, 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 you know, this yeah. is really, you know, deplorable, whatever. Um, he just takes it to Josh Hawley. And, and, and by the way, just the substance here, that we're in the middle of an international crisis, a war in the heart of Europe. And Josh Hawley has decided to uh, not just be a you know, performative asshole, but to use his power as the United States Senate to block uh, the confirmation of key Defense Department officials that he is actually attacking the Defense Department. Look, if Democrats cannot wrap that around the neck of Republicans, they should find a new line of work. Yeah, just to, to your going way, way back before you yeah. entered the thing, you apologized at the start saying that, you know, it's a little inconsistent to be arguing for civility yeah. and then, you know, sort yeah, of right. slam dunking Josh Hawley. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about that, actually. I mean, I think that people who are being hypocritical assholes can still be called out for being hypocritical assholes while while being civil, right? I, I mean, like, there are certain moments that call 
for unity, right? I, I, as you said, there's a war in the heart of Europe, right? I mean, I think that if the Republicans were acting in good faith and trying to help the Biden administration, you know, make decisions, maybe at times criticizing them, um, but uh, but but doing so earnestly with the effort of uh, uh, doing the making sure America is doing the best we can to support our allies in Ukraine. Uh, and, that, and that there were Republicans who were willing to stand side by side with Biden and help them, then yeah, that would call for Democrats on the Senate to be civil and and to be gracious to their Republican colleagues who are you know working side by side in this moment of crisis. That's maybe happening in a few cases with a few Republicans like Mitt, but that's not what's happening with people like yeah. Josh Hawley, right? And so you so you can call out hypocrites while still. Being civil in time in times that call for civility, and and, and you have people like Josh Hawley and others. He's not, he's not alone. Who who uh, you know Cruz was Cruz was saying this too, for example. You know who were saying before the war that we shouldn't do anything about this. Uh, we we should only care about our own border. You know we shouldn't be helping the Ukrainians. We shouldn't be fund you know funding you know sending sending weapons, voting against weapons, as Schatz points out. You know people who defended Donald Trump when he blocked. You know, when he tried to, to, to coerce Zelensky into uh, investigating Hunter Biden, if he was going to get the weapons that he needed to protect himself from the Russian threat, people who did all of that and then now have the gall to be like, Joe Biden's not doing enough. Fuck those people. OK, <laughs> screw them. And thank God, you know, someone is out there to call it out because the Republicans, uh, you know, the, many Republicans have been trying to have this both ways. I've been trying to, you know, attack Joe Biden for being a globalist or whatever, you know, when that was the, the, the you know, in vogue attack to a few weeks later attacking Joe Biden for not being tough enough. I, like that is not that is not standing with the Ukrainians. Like that is, you know, more performative assholery, right? And so uh, and I think that uh, that Sh- Schatz's uh, uh, speech was very appropriate. I think him and Murphy are the Democrats' best um, folks on social media um, uh, in the Senate. And and frankly, the Democrats should be doing more to get these guys in front of cameras because Democrats need so. more good uh, messengers right now. And, you know, um, the White House is struggling on this front. Schumer is a disaster. Pelosi is okay, uh, you know, at times better than others. But, um, you know, obviously isn't the type of person who is, is messaging to the big middle. So, uh, you know, more shots of Murphy, um, who, for, as far as I'm concerned, uh, would be helpful for the Democrats. More of this would be good. Okay, so we, we had a lot of great stuff in the bulwark uh, this week. I, I think this is one of our strongest weeks. And one of my favorite stories was by you. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that because you're there. I, the, uh, your, your piece on Trump social media, the Republican Party is Trump stakes. Truth Social, the president's latest private sector scam to flop, was promoted relentlessly by official GOP accounts. And as you begin the article, which I strongly recommend, it has been an inauspicious start for Truth Social, the former president's new Twitter knockoff, helmed by bovine ex-congressman Devin Nunes. Oh, it's just there's so much going on here. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, first of all, the fact that Trump has just failed so miserably once again. I mean, this is this has been one of my big frustrations that that he has this image that Donald Trump has this image of being a successful businessman when in fact he has failed at one business after another. I think in part because he actually doesn't care about how the business runs. He just thinks if he slaps his name on it, so you have Trump Stakes and Trump Airlines and you know Trump University, etc. The but board game. You, Don't forget the Trump the board and game. The board game. We could go on the Trump magazine, the Trump water. <laughs> there was all of these failed businesses. But what's fascinating about this is that this thing is a complete disaster. It's a complete flop. But as as you remind people, people like uh, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and the entire Republican official uh, hierarchy was all in in pimping for this social media site. So talk to me about that because that is amazing. Yeah, I think that's the key story. I needed to, you know, clear my throat a little bit at the front by making fun of all Trump's failed businesses yeah. uh, and yeah. Devin Nunes, um, you know, just per point of personal privilege for the first couple of paragraphs. But the, the uh, to me, the news here uh, and, and, and you know, what I, I wanted this article to bring that I, I felt was absent from the discourse among the political media is is just how lockstep hand in hand uh, more than that I, I mean the the official Republican Party has been a the biggest 
PR operation on behalf of Donald Trump's private sector scam company. Right. So it's one thing, you know, for Swan to ask McConnell, why is the NRSC sending out so many emails promoting Donald Trump even after the insurrection? Fair question. I, I, you know, and shouldn't should the party really be promoting this person still so relentlessly? But we've discussed that a lot. It's a separate matter for, for the RNC, for the NRSC. Uh, that's the National Republican Senate Committee, yeah. the National Republican Congressional Committee, individual candidates to be texting, emailing, tweeting, Facebook, running ads. Asking people to sign up for Truth Social, telling people to stick it to the left by signing up for Truth Social, um, telling people that the, the only way that you're a good patriot is if you sign up for Truth Social. The NRSC sent me in the er, in, in the course of uh, March 19 emails supporting Truth Social. 19 <laughs> in the middle of the Ukraine war. You know the, the Senate committee could be emailing about anything: inflation, gas prices, uh, Ukraine. Uh, you know all of the important issues. 19 emails they sent. Sign up for Truth Social today. Stick it to the big tech elite, stick it to the left. I mean, this is, you know, both a scam, but also corruption. I, I mean, it is, it's, it's plain as day corruption. I, you know, we, we spent a lot of time last week. I got some angry emails from listeners who are upset that I was upset about the Hunter Biden laptop and saying that Hunter Biden was acting, uh, was, was trading on his dad's name for personal gain. I, no matter what you think about all of right. it, that's not good. The DNC isn't then sending out emails that's like, hey, sign up for Burisma, Hunter Biden's company, like support, uh, you know, like right. what is happening on the Republican side is an, an active effort by campaign and, and politicians, public servants, Marco Rubio texting me, like, like threatening me. Marco Rubio. I, yeah, yeah, little Marco. Yeah, little Marco threatening me over text yeah, to sign up for Trump's private company so that he can make money. So you got a text from Marco Rubio saying, are you joining True Social? Friend, ignore again. And we'll tell Trump you surrendered to big tech. 30 minutes left to update your status. Tim, we're watching you, Tim. Wagging his don't, little stubby little finger at me. Don't, don't you disappoint us, Tim. Otherwise, <laughs> I am going to tell Trump you surrendered, Tim. I mean... What is it's the difference between that? Do you get these calls, you know, who's like, you, know, you get a call and you pick up the phone and it's, a, it's whatever your number and it's like, you know, and the person's like, hey, have you updated your insurance yet? Uh, you know, I'm looking at, are you Tim? Uh, it looks like your insurance, your home insurance is way. And then you're like, okay, well, who is this again? And then it's like, oh, okay, this is just a scammer trying to get me to like, what is the difference between the scam calls that are trying to trick old people into Zero. And in this, there's nothing, right? Like, it's a scam. Like, they're, they're just running a total scam. Marco Rubio, by the way, can't even sign you up for True Social. So that threat, you once you click on that, it's just like Marco's like, just give me, 30, you know, tell me what your sign-up name will be for True Social and then I'm give just, me 30, I'm, 35 I'm, bucks. I'm just trying to imagine the, the phone call. Um, you know, uh, President Trump, um, th this is Marco. <laughs> uh, Marco. Marco Rubio. Uh, Marco Rubio from, from Florida, remember me? Uh, I, I just I, I I wanted to call you to tell you that uh, Tim Miller has surrendered to big tech, and I thought you needed to know. <laughs> just, but it's not it's just him. It's a Rick Scott, Steve Daines from Montana, Josh Hawley, of course, Chuck Grassley, who's too old to know what he's doing, Bill Haggerty, Mike Crapo. James Langford, what the hell? Roger Marshall, Deb Fisher, all of these. Um, I love Marsha Blackburn in your story. Writing under the nom de plume, Pelosi for never, whatever, emailed supporters to say that her goal is to add 500 new patriots to Truth Social in the next five minutes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is, um, she's like the person in the call basement, you know, it's like a boiler room. She's the person in the boiler room. And, you know, Don, Donnie's up there saying, you got to get me 500. You got to get me 500 in five minutes. You know, if you want to get the, the steak at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of the week, I, I like it's, it's crazy that, I, that they're, that they're doing this and that nobody notices. And this is all part of, it really ties into what we're saying at the beginning about this all being a game, right? The reason why I write this. Right, is because political reporters are all getting these emails and texts too. But it's like, you know, everybody's just been so beaten down by, I think by the it. scam, so right? And they're just yeah. like, yeah, and they're just like, this isn't news. It's like, oh, whatever. They're sending me texts about true social. It's like, it is kind of news, right? Like, the president has a scam company and that the entire Republican Party seems seems committed to to doing PR for it. Um, 
in the months after he incited a domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol? I, I don't know. To me, like, it's silly. It's funny. It's mockable. It's like much in the Trump era. I was listening to you and Tom yesterday talk about old Rudy yeah. Giuliani. It's like it's both dark comedy and very and, 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 and serious corruption at the same time. It can be both. Yeah, it, it can be the dark uh, comedy, I think. Uh, okay, so um, let, let, let's talk about the don't say gay bill in Florida yeah. and what's happening now. But look, I understand there's tremendous pushback that it's not to say don't say gay. But, and I, I mentioned this before, look, I, I expected that Republicans were going to make a big issue of transgender uh, issues, uh, particularly, you know, transgender athletes. Yeah. That was definitely something that, that was predictable. But what's interesting is that they seem to have sort of slingshotted around trans rights and gone right, right for gays and lesbians. And so this is now at the center of the culture war. Look, you know, what, what is your take on this? I mean, are you, are you surprised by this? Because now this is spreading. This has become a thing. And it's yep. become acceptable in Republican circles. And by the way, by Republican circles, you know, one of the things we've seen is how the fringe has been absorbed by the establishment. There's not the kind of distinction there used to be. So that it's now common to have intellectual right-wing publications, you know, explain why it is okay to call political opponents groomers, to imply that they are pro-pedophile if in fact they oppose legislation that is targeting uh, gays or the discussion of gays. So are you surprised by this? Yeah, I mean, I'm okay, you we are, got right? complacent. We got complacent. The gays got complacent. You know, we we thought we'd won. You know, we were uh, skinny and happy and going to Rehoboth Beach, Fire Island, you know, just enjoying our little vodka sodas. But they're back. Uh, they're coming back for us. I, look, I, the, the premise, the original article I wrote for the Bork about the Don't Say Gay Bill was written February 15th. I looked at this yesterday. Um, so only about six weeks ago. And the premise of that article was I was seeing some chatter about this bill. You know, there, there was the beginnings of the pushback among the kind of gay activist set on the left. There's the beginnings of the defense among, you know, kind of the social conservative side on the right. Ben Shapiro was sort, sort of the tip of the spear on this. And I was like, is this a real thing? You know, because a lot of times this happens, right? You know, some crazy state legislator in right, South Dakota right. or whatever proposes something and then everybody gets outraged. MSNBC does a thing on it and then Breitbart defends it. And it's like, well, this was never going to be anything anyway. So so I was like, is this that or is this a real thing? And I wasn't sure. I And, and my instinct kind of said it was the former, actually. that This just wasn't, don't say gay. Like, really, this is what they're going to fight about right now? And I had the same reaction. I learned very, yeah, yeah, I learned very quickly. I made some calls to some of my old friends in Florida, you know, who are who are in touch with what's happening in Tallahassee. Uh, and and I learned very quickly that it, it was not actually performative and that very well is going to pass. And I, I tried to sound the alarm bell on February 15th saying, this is real. Like, this is going to pass. Ron DeSantis is going to sign it. Uh, and back then, in February 15th, it, it was in the most literal sense of don't say gay, Bill, because the original draft said, you know, there's no discussion. They changed that to instruction marginally better but i i think this well, I mean, but, but the, don't the, pre, the, the preamble still has the word discussion in it though yeah the preamble still okay, has yeah, okay, very okay. well lawyered yeah. as Ilya right, Shapiro right. said this yeah. is so well lawyered very precise uh the preamble still has discussion they changed it to instruction and but and my friend gabriel mailer who is a legal expert on twitter more conservative than me yeah. uh legal expert was was saying i i still think that this is don't say gay because if you look at a book like heather has two mommies you can't now now have that be part of an instruction like you know that's just a standard children's book about how families come in different some people have one mom some people have two moms some people have one dad some people have you know grandparents you know because their parents died and it's just like a, a book about how all families are, are beautiful that can't be now read in school so if that can't be read is that not don't say gay anyway uh louisiana a state that i've been you know kind of flirting with maybe moving to at some point now has a bill that they're working on. They have a Democrat, conservative Democratic governor. I'm not sure if they'll have the votes to do an override of a veto on this, but they have a bill that is in the literal sense of the term, don't ask, don't tell for gay teachers. Mm -hmm. It has all of the don't say gay stuff from the Florida legislation. And on top of that, they are proposing that, that teachers at any level, not K to five, K to 12, teachers cannot discuss the sexual orientation of their partner or whatever, something like that. And so, you know, that's kind of like, can I say that I have a wife then if I'm a man? Is that, is that discussing our sexual orientation? Of course, that's not a problem. But uh, so 
They're looking to bring back Don't Say Gay for teachers. And as we said on the discussion first instruction thing, I think last week on this podcast, I think other states will go to the more extreme initial bill, right? But, you know, because they have more Republican legislatures and senators and, you know, people want to run for president and want to show up, Ron DeSantis and et cetera. You see the impact of this in Texas already. A school district in Irving, uh, kind of a conservative excerpt, the public school, the principal ordered that they take down all of the rainbow stickers. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. From the windows. Yeah, take down all the rainbow stickers. A teacher, a gay teacher, uh, objects. Now they're, uh, you know, as they didn't like the way that the gay teacher objected. And now it, you know, it seems like, I, I think that obviously lawyers are getting involved in all this, like that teacher is going to be fired. So like, th- this is very real. The real life impact of this is already being demonstrated. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's continuing kind of hate, you know, sprouting up, particularly targeting trans individuals, but also gays. There's a, a gay bar arson um, recently. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I th- this has been this. Ha- and to your point, this has been mainstreamed. Um, these types of bills, they're they're reframing it as not anti-gay. It's parental rights. A parent right. has the right to object. You know, a parent has the right to object. If they don't like Heather has two mommies, then a parent has the right to object. This isn't about the gays. This is just about parents and having two. total control over the over the curriculum. And and that position is being advanced by not just the crazy magas. It is being advanced all by everyone in the Republican coalition, all the way up to people that that have basically have already left the Republican coalition, right? And even the Trump skeptical commentators on the right have have basically been in lockstep in support of this. And so this well, is and, coming. And the polls would suggest, though, that parental rights are popular. So there's got to be some way of saying that, yes, we are going to respect parental rights, but we are not going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not sure that we've had that formula. I will tell you the thing that is the most dangerous, you know, watching from, you know, just sort of watching from the outside here is this very, very casual, um, but but suddenly very, very widespread conflation of being gay with being a child molester. Yeah. Um, and this feels like it's a throwback to decades ago where that that if you are a gay teacher, then then you know we need to think of you as a potential pedophile. And if you talk about these things, it is per, it is because you are grooming children for pedophilia. This is a this is where you you move from, you know, from we, I do. I, I felt like we were on this trajectory to to tolerance. Now we are on this trajectory to really uh, demonization in a very, very dangerous way. And I, and I know that we throw words like hate around too much. Um, but if you convince large numbers of people um, that that gay men who teach in schools are potential pedophiles, uh, the consequences could be um, really ugly. And very dangerous. Yeah, and this goes back to, and we're in 1978 again. I mean, this is yeah, the I Briggs know. Initiative. Yeah, this is the Briggs yeah. Initiative in California. I, we've all been here already. Um, Reagan, Remind me what, the, what, what was the Briggs okay, Initiative? Yeah, so the Briggs yeah. Initiative was a, uh, a, a ballot amendment in California. Um, that Briggs was the state senator, I think, um, that uh, was was going to ban gay teachers from the classroom, right, on this all these same arguments. Reagan, obviously, was was you know, not perfect. Okay. <laughs> when it comes to gays, yeah. that is an understatement. Uh, and he was horrible and AIDS, horrible and HIV. But I, I talked to one of his advisors, one of his, you know, when I moved out here, you know, kind of an old, uh, old hand, um, who was, who advised him in California, I just had one of these coffee meetings and he, to- and he told me about this. And if you go back to, you know, these efforts to, to ban gay teachers in the classroom in, in California, when Reagan, back when Reagan was governor, I, the polling on it was horrible. You know, and he knew he wanted to run for president. And, you know, you see this defense to your point about polling. It's like, well, the don't say gay bill in Florida is 70, 30. It's like, well, okay. I mean, you know, if you tell people, if you ask people in a poll, like, do you want kindergartners to, you know, learn about 69ing? Like, yeah, that's going to, that's going to not be popular. Okay. So if you, it's very easy for, 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 you know, demagogues to like make this seem popular we've lived through all this right and 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 reagan in that in that one instance did the right thing on on this and he said and he he basically remembers saying you know the advisor told me he remembers in saying like this is just wrong like these like these teachers are are good people that are just trying to teach in the classroom and this is wrong and and he came out at the very end and campaigned and and you know really did, did not oppose this ballot initiative the ballot initiative failed 
which took guts. You, you know, yeah, that took guts, right? About that it, because, because you know what? That that also shows that it is possible to take a courageous stand. And, and taking that stand in 1978 seems to me to be much riskier than taking a stand for tolerance in 2022. Yeah, exactly. And, no and, again, and again, this is it's very not a perfect man. Yeah, it's not hagiography, right? It's like this is like huh. a person that was trying to to make judgments. Said this is just this is too far. Firing gay teachers that was you know this was going to mandate that gay teachers be look fired. This up. Well, yeah, yeah, you should look it up. I've We're learned not, something. I feel yeah, I feel smarter after this podcast. This yeah, we are not um, you know exactly there. But but boy, if you're already looking at a teacher in Texas getting getting fired, if you're already looking at you know a, a, a bringing back a don't ask, don't tell, um, I, you know for teachers in the classroom, I, I mean I, this is is a lot has a lot more parallels to that than than it does differences. Very interesting, Tim Miller. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Have a great weekend, Charlie. I am going to have a good weekend. I'm closing with one thing for people. Okay, are you ready? Is this, is, Please, is this okay? Yeah. Um, yeah sure. You said at the beginning you were like, uh, you know, just get off of if you want to care about democracy, get off TikTok, read a book. You know, I've been focusing on I've been focusing on book reading. So I'm do, uh, myself to, for to, to, for the same thing, mental health. So I, I want I want a book club partner here. Okay, from one of our okay. listeners, I want to read Hanya. I'm going to butcher her last name, Yana Gahara, I think. Uh, her new book is called To Paradise. I loved her last uh, her last two books, but this book is like is like I don't know, like 1,300 pages or something. I don't know how long it is. It's just so fucking long. And so you know, I, I, sometimes it's nice to have somebody that's like spurring you forward. Um, so uh, this is this is for for this is my offer to listeners who want to um, you know get off of Twitter and TikTok. And engage and engage in a little fiction uh, reading. I'm going to begin to paradise so this weekend. I'm, yeah, you can email me or DM. My DMs are open. I'm going to begin to paradise this weekend, and you know we can have a little informal book club if you want to suffer through the not suffer through enjoy the you know 900 pages or whatever it is together. It's interesting you say that because I've, I've been going through the same thing, which is that, you know, instead of I, I could always binge watch the latest show, but I think, you know, what, I'm going to try and read more. And I have been and I am uh, I'm in the middle of uh, doing sort of a binge reading of Alexander McCall Smith books, um, but also um, have just begun reading Terry Teachout's, the late Terry Teachout's biography of H.L. Mencken, which is absolutely fabulous. What a tragedy it is that Terry Teachout died so young. But um, you and I should talk about that at some point. Yeah, Terry Teachout's amazing. Yeah, we can do. There you go. That's a good option for people. H.L. Mencken, if you want nonfiction, to Paradise, if you want fiction. We're giving our listeners, you know, two different tracks. Exactly. All right. Have a great weekend. All right. See you, Charlie. The Bulwark Podcast is produced by Katie Cooper with audio production by Jonathan Siri. I'm Charlie Sykes. Thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. And we'll be back tomorrow. Do this all over again.